But it does mean this morning I want to kind of offer a couple of thoughts in terms of um, just some thinking around the, the world that we're living in at the moment and how we might be faithfully Christian in that. Uh, with that in mind, I've got, I've got two things I want to address. So I've got two sermons for you <laughs> this morning. But they're both really short. So rather, I could have weaved them together as one sermon, but I thought, no, I'm not going to. I'm just going to. There's two things I want to talk about this morning. I'm going to talk about the first one, and then I'm going to say, yeah, good, we talked about the first one. Then I'm going to talk about the second one. And if they don't kind of weave together magically, that's all right, because we're an Advent scene and we'll weave everything together magically. So two sermons this morning. Lord, we thank you that we can gather. We thank you for your word. That's life to us always. We thank you that where two or three are gathered, you're present, and you're present with us this morning. We celebrate that. Thank you for the joy, the wonder, the delight of family, of kids of every age and stage, and we appreciate that. We appreciate being with one another and being with you this morning. I ask that you would just help each of us to hear something of your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, a couple of Sundays ago, I... Uh, oh, we've gone... Oh, yeah, that's what I want to talk about. Looking to Jesus and then the church as a sanctuary. Uh, up on the next one, uh, a couple of Sunday ga- Sundays ago, I uh, looked at the reality that ideas can form idol- ideologies that can easily become idolatries. Ideas that become ideologies that can become the source of idolatry in our life. And some of those ideas are things like autonomy and libertarianism, health and safety, economy and freedom, legislative solutions. And I, I suggested at the end of that sermon that ultimately we've got to lay those things at the foot of the cross. We've got to look to Jesus. And I just want to pick up a, a, just one thought in regards to looking to Jesus and laying things at the foot of the cross. Uh, the question, of course, is who or what reigns supreme in our lives? Is it autonomy? Is it health and safety? Is it the economy? Is it, is it legislation? What is it that reigns supreme in our lives? And ultimately, of course, the answer needs to be Christ, that Christ reigns supreme in our lives in all things. Uh, Hebrews 2 verse 2, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. The pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. As we run our, li- run our race, as we live our lives, as we journey our journey, let's make sure our eyes are fixed on Jesus. But what are we talking about when we talk about fixing our eyes on Jesus? Um... I'm just going to lay everything at the foot of the cross. I'm looking to Jesus. I'm just, you know, you get into a conversation with somebody at having a coffee or whatever. And, How are you going? It's like, oh, I'm going all good. The world's falling apart. I'm just looking to Jesus. Though. I'm looking to Jesus. I'm just laying everything at the foot of the cross. I'm looking at the Savior. What does that mean? Like, and when you say that, do you actually mean anything? Or is that just the Christianese answer that we know we can say that is our get out of jail free card from any further conversation? Uh, or is there something, when we say that, does it actually reflect something deeper that, that, that is something that we mean and is something that we're doing? Because uh, it's easy for that to be a cliche. I'm just looking to Jesus. It's easy for that to be a cliche. Uh, it's easy for it to be an outright lie at times. <laughs> I'm just looking to Jesus, and you know well and truly. Who's Jesus? Like, you're stressing about this, 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 and trying to sort this out. Uh, so what, what are we getting at there? Uh, sometimes when pastors or preachers preach, and this is why I wanted to pick up, because I didn't want to end a couple of weeks ago with, just look to Jesus. All right, grace and peace, have a good Sunday. Because sometimes when you hear pastors or, or preachers say that, it can come across all too easily as kind of a magic bullet for everything. Uh, especially the more complex the situation is, and the, the, most of the pastors able to come up with is, just look to Jesus. All right, have a good Sunday. There's tea and coffee in the, in the foyer and wish you all the best. Um, you know, pastor, thanks so much for meeting with me at the moment. Things are crazy. Uh, the cat was in a hit and run last night, squashed but not quite dead. 
Uh, I had to get in my own car to finish it off, and I hit it again, but that didn't quite finish it, so I had to skid on it in the end. But I couldn't find the keys, and I was in such a panic because the cat's squealing on the road outside the house, and I couldn't find the keys, and I was angry, and I swore at one of the kids, and uh, you, know, you know, like I said, I had to do the handbrake skid. And then when I got inside, one of the kids was crying because of the cat, and another was crying because I'd sworn, and, uh, you know, and another one wasn't crying at all because cats go to heaven. And then I'm like, do cats go to heaven? And I said to the kid, I don't think cats go to heaven. And then that kid was crying as well as the other two that were already crying and I really I am wondering do do cats go to heaven and if it's a golden city this heaven why doesn't God get all the gold and help the poor people why do we have a golden city that doesn't make sense and help them in their poverty and what is their poverty sickness and death and COVID-19 and how does God let that happen and I don't know if I should get another cat or believe in God or what should I do oh, praise Jesus just look to Jesus just just you know just look to Jesus let's pray together Lord just help Johnny to look to Jesus amen and it's like can easily come across as like, I don't think the pastor said anything there. I just think he said, look to Jesus, and then moved on with his day because he didn't want to deal with any of that. It can feel cliche, especially in a global pandemic, it can feel cliche. It can feel cliche when people are losing their job or we're living in a fragmenting social context. It can feel cliche. It's a complex situation. Nevertheless, we look to Jesus. So I, I just want to give one thought as to why would we look to Jesus or what are we doing when we look to Jesus? Uh, we look to Jesus. I don't know if my slides. What's the next one? No, no, back. Yeah, no, we're right. Uh, we'll keep this one for. A while. We look to Jesus because Jesus is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Because it's Him that walk, works all things together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to His purposes. Because we believe we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Uh, Because through Christ, God is redeeming and restoring and mending and healing, putting back together all things. Revelation 1 verse 6, these are three verses I love from Revelation 1 verse 6, 5 verse 10, 20 verse 6. Uh, God has made us and is making us to be a kingdom of priests to serve God. Uh, The next one. Has made us, is making us to be a kingdom of priests to serve God. Next one. We'll be priests of God and and reign with Christ. Christ will reign with them. So we look to Jesus not... uh, We look to Jesus to restore us to that priestly vocation. We're looking to Jesus to restore us to be the kind of people that God's called us to be. In the midst of the storm and the calamity and the cat that got run over twice and skidded on once to finish it off. We're looking to Jesus... Because Jesus is looking to work in our lives, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, the one that initiated our faith and will bring it into completion, who's working towards restoring us to be a kingdom of priests, to that image-bearing priestly vocation that we're called to in Genesis, to worship God faithfully, to represent God faithfully. We're looking to Jesus to help us to be representatives of God in the particular climate that we find ourselves in, whatever that might be. Uh, not that we all become pastors, but that we all grow to reflect the nature and the character of Christ. To be the holy, whole and wholesome people that God's called us to be. So you look to Jesus in every situation, not so much as the solution to the situation. It's a global pandemic. I'm just looking at Jesus. Fix up the global pandemic. 
It's like, I don't think it works quite like that. I, I don't think that's quite how it works. But we look to Jesus in the midst of a global pandemic going, there's anxiety and there's stress and there's worry and there's fatigue. I'm looking to Jesus. Jesus, how do you want to shape me and mold me and develop me in this situation that I might somehow be light in the darkness or peace in the midst of a storm? So we're not looking to Jesus as the magic bullet that fixes everything. We're looking to Jesus who primarily has come to restore and mend and heal and put us back together in the midst of the various circumstances we find ourselves in. I had somebody asking why we do Lent at St. Luke's. Well, we do all of the Christian calendar because the Christian calendar takes us through all of the seasons of life. Lent is the wilderness and pain and heartache and suffering. Advent is excitement and expectation. And we have ordinary time in the middle because life's very ordinary most of the time. Um, but we're looking for Christ to shape us in all of those things that we could be Christ. Not that Christ would rescue us from ordinary life. I hate ordinary time. God, make it more exciting. All right, here's a pandemic. Oh, no, I don't mean like that. I mean like awesome things, not those things. Uh, we're in the wilderness. Rescue me from the wilderness. Like, no, we walk through all of those seasons because God's actually wanting to develop us. Main thing God is looking to do in our lives is the development of our lives. And as we are developed, the world begins to be put back together. So in all things, we look to Jesus. We listen, we tune in, looking for Christ to lead and develop and enlarge and heal and restore and make us whole. In the midst of whatever situation that we find ourselves. What about a pandemic? What about the economy? What about health and safety? What about legislation? I don't know. What about it? What are you going to do about the pandemic? I'm not going to do anything about it. What can we do about health and safety? What is the, we, these, are, these are things that I know I can't solve them this week. And if not, even if I give all of the time between now and Christmas to concentrating on the issue of the pandemic... Reasonably sure I'm not going to be able to solve it. It's, 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 what about that? Well, those things are important, but what I can do is I can look to Jesus and say, Jesus, how are you looking to mold and shape me to be a more holy, whole and wholesome person in this context? And if everybody in the local church is looking to do that in our local church, and then if everybody in all of the local churches are looking to do that, and if everyone that follows Christ across this globe is looking in this season to, to just go, God, how am I to be molded and shaped to become more like you've called me to be in this situation? And Christians all around the world are just stepping up that little bit in terms of being Christ to their brothers and sisters, their neighbors. It's like, ah. Oh, there's a few billion of us. That, that might actually help in a global pandemic. It, it might not make COVID go away, but it might actually help us to navigate this in peace and trust and confidence. So I'm looking to Jesus to shape me in whatever the situation is, not necessarily to shape the situation to be more like I would hope that it could be convenient for me or nice for me or whatever it might be. And I think that's, I think that's essential. I think that's really important. It doesn't mean... If you happen to be a Christ follower who is a member of parliament, that you don't think hard about legislation or strategy or all of these kinds of things. They're the ones that are in that role to do that. Well, all, the whole apartment, but that Christian person there is going to be saying, God, how do you shape me? And then also, how might we best approach this? And they, get the, they have the opportunity to sit in rooms and brainstorm and debate and talk. They, they do that. Most of you probably don't get that chance on Monday or Tuesday. I don't get that chance. So rather than be anxious about that, which I can't control, I ask God, how do I be light? How can all of us be light that together we can be light to the world around us? If the pandemic is a storm 
It's not so much that we look for Jesus to save us from the storm, to magically take the pandemic away. We look to Jesus in the storm to shape and mold and strengthen and develop us in the storm. Am I saying we can't trust Jesus to deal with these kinds of things? I'm not saying that, but historically, the Christian witness of 2,000 years is... It's not really how it works. It's not, it's, not, it's not. God's not a vending machine that if we get enough people praying, magic things happen and it all goes away. God tends to work through the body of Christ that is the church and Christians everywhere to be light in the midst of that darkness. And the, the ingenuity, of, ingenuity of humanity, is that the right word? You know what I was trying to say. That's our word for the day, unless another word comes up. Um, God works through humanity. Well, what is humanity? Humanity are the image bearers of God that are created in the likeness of God to be co-creators with God. And we don't all have that same responsibility. Different people hold different portfolios in the community that is our common life together. Some are directly trying to solve it. Some lie in bed for three hours every night trying to solve it, even though the only outlet they have is Facebook. I would suggest three hours a night trying to solve it and then download that onto Facebook might not be the best use of your time. We let go, we look to Jesus and we say, how can I be developed in this situation to be who you've called to me? Trusting that my brothers and sisters are doing that and if we all do that together, well, who knows the difference that that could make. We look to Jesus in the storm to rescue and save us in the storm, but not necessarily from the storm. All right, that's sermon number one. Just an idea I wanted to. I didn't want to just finish with... Lay it at the cross. Look to Jesus. All the best on Monday. It's like, no, we, we, it's, there's more to it than that. This is our chance to be Christian. To, to actually trust Jesus to shape us to be who we're called to be. Alright, that's sermon number one. We lay these things at the foot of the cross because before anything else, we're looking to Jesus to make us a kingdom of priests. Holy, whole and wholesome. And from that space, we might be in the right space to navigate some of those other complexities. What does Jesus say? Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. There's a I will make you bit that happens before the I'm going to get stuck in there and make it all happen. We Sometimes we're trying to jump from I follow Jesus and now I'm going to get out there and fix it all. It's like, well, no, what is Jesus wanting to make of you in this situation that you're in a better space to engage with the world around you? That's sermon number just look to Jesus. is isn't a magic formula, a cliche, a cover-all. It's about formation. And it isn't a naive way for Christians to deal with complex situations. It's actually what it is to have faith and trust, to be shaped in the midst of the complexity. As I continue to be formed more in Christ, I discover more and more that I can live Matthew chapter 6, 25 through to 34. Do not worry about your life. This is the Sermon of Jesus, Sermon on the Mount. And he unpacks that in the next verses, but the open one is before there's the semicolon. Do not worry about your life. And then it unpacks. Don't worry about these kinds of things. Don't worry about those kinds of things. Does worrying about it cause you to grow taller? Do not worry about your life. Well, how is it that I cannot worry about my life? Especially in this kind of storm. Well, I can learn to live that because I'm looking to Jesus to shape me. And as I begin to be more and more shaped like Christ, I discover that worry actually does begin to dissipate. All right, sermon number two, up on the next slide. Church as a century. I mentioned this in my recent From the Pastor's Desk newsletter, which if you don't get that email, um, you can sign up for that. But 
from the past is the church as a sanctuary. The church is not, or our local church is not the full expression of the kingdom of God, obviously. Uh, nevertheless, our local church is an expression of the kingdom of God. And as I said in that newsletter, I found myself in prayer and contemplation, sitting with Jesus going, what is the expression of the kingdom of God that St. Luke's is called to be in this situation, in this context? And the, the one word just keeps returning to me again and again, and it's the, that word is that word sanctuary. Uh, St. Luke's as a place of refuge, a place of restoration, of rehabilitation, of renewal, of recharge. How good is that? Alliteration. All start with R. Refuge, restoration, rehabilitation, renewal, recharge. A place of shade, a place of fresh water, a place of safety, a sanctuary. Sanctuary in a weary world. And uh, so I've been thinking about that. And I, I think what I realized was that has always been a core value of St. Luke's. That's been something that's been important to us since we started in March 2011 to be a sanctuary. That's, that's a key core value to who we are as a church. And we've never written it down on a piece of paper once. But when I, the, when I wrote it down, I was like, hey, well, why have we never written this down? We've, this, is, this is what we've tried to be since day number one. Often enough, I've said things like uh, St. Luke's having a slow pace in contrast to a hurried world. That this would be a slow pace in here in contrast to a hurried world. Uh, as a quiet place, in contrast to a noisy world, as a low-tech space, in contrast to a high-tech blinding lights of a modern world, that somehow this would be a sanctuary, where the video camera is an iPhone, and the tripod is taped together with duct tape, you know. No, we're not, not that we're championing that, but that it'd be low-tech, that it could be slower, that it could be quieter, that it could be stiller, in a very noisy world that we live in. Now, there's something about, oh yeah, here's the word for the day. There's something uh, reverent in the idea of sanctuary. A solemn respect. Solemn doesn't mean somber. That's a different word. Solemn. A solemn respect. Solemn is formal and dignified. There's something about a sanctuary that is, it's a place that's formal and dignified and, and quiet and restful. Uh, there's this sense of an adoration of God. It's, it's amazing that by and large, libraries are still a place of sanctuary. You go into a library, they're very quiet. They're very still, with the exception of the internet kiosk, if, uh, if, you, if you know where the computer section of the library is. That's normally hustle and bustle and noise, but everywhere, it's like where there are books, there is stillness. It's like where the word exists, people are reverent. It's like, well, we gather around God's word. There's the libraries that still manage to kind of maintain them. In our contemporary churches, we've lost a little bit the idea of sanctuary. Uh, obviously, our building doesn't look like that building. But when we do build a church one day at St. Luke's, we will definitely build a cathedral because that makes economical sense and it's easy to rally people to build a cathedral. I mean, I'd love a cathedral. I'd still love somebody to... Give me a cathedral, but there's none in Paramus. So. Not because I want a cathedral, I just want to do what we do in a cathedral. That suddenly the whole thing is, hey, that's cool. Uh, but we, you know, the modern contemporary church has kind of lost the idea of the church as a sanctuary. Uh, we call it an auditorium. You know, it's a multi-purpose venue. And that makes sense, because I, I get it. Like, but I'm not so young that I can't remember being told off for wearing my hat in church, Ellie. I was little enough to get told off for wearing my hat in church. I was little enough to, or I'm old enough to remember getting told off for that, to mean getting told off for running around. Now I look at those things and go, wear your hat. God, I mean, Sam wore his hat last week. I'd wear a hat, except it makes shade in the lights. But wear your hat. 
I grew up with multi-purpose rooms. There's a hole in the wall because the youth used this, and not our youth, but there was another church youth, and the guy wanted to do a backflip off the wall, um, but his legs went through the wall. That's how that ended. I don't know how he thought it was going to end. There's stains on the carpet because we clear the chairs away, and the kids play minute to win it, and there's cream and ice cream and banana slip. Because it's it's a multi-purpose venue. It makes perfect sense. But in that, we've lost a little bit the idea of the church as a sanctuary, as a holy place, as a refuge from the, the realities of life. Um, so the question is, how do we, how do we maintain that? Um, what does it mean, though, is it that where the, building, where the building is no longer a building of wide open spaces and solemn respect, a, a signpost pointing to the awesomeness of God, how do we make it that our lives are wide open spaces? And a place of solemn reference that is a signpost and points towards God. Our lives as a sanctuary. I think that's what we're called to be. That St. Luke's not the building, but us as the community that is the body of Christ that gathers together. That we could be a sanctuary to one another. Not that this building, well yes that this building, but this building is a sanctuary because we are a sanctuary to one another. Uh, the challenge to that is not so much logistics in this moment of division and different ideas and different thoughts. Um, you know, how do, we, how do we hold together in a divided community with strong ideas and divided opinions? Because uh, strong ideas and divided opinions isn't a bad thing. We're in a serious situation that needs lots of ideas and opinions and thoughts. Issues of life and livelihood and liberty and legislation are in flux, etc., etc. So there's many different things to consider and it makes perfect sense that everybody has slightly different ideas on that we're not trying to do away with that but how do we make it a sanctuary where people with all the diversity of ideas that can come together and still experience safety and unity in god's house around the table how do you unite over divided dinner table how do you unite at christmas with divided family members how do you gather around the communion table where there's divided opinions in the room? Well, the choice is that we make a commitment to being a sanctuary to one another. Uh, we carry ourselves in a certain way despite the difference of opinions. We don't have to do away with the difference of opinions, but we carry ourselves in a certain way despite the difference of opinions. Uh, the challenge, again, is not logistical. We can run a vaccinated service, a non-vaccinated service. When we're in red, I can do a communion gathering for 10 people that are unvaccinated. We can find a way to be at the table logistically, whatever we find ourselves in COVID. But how do we be at the table in unity in the different realities of COVID? Two verses I think are expedient. The first is in uh, Romans. Romans 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. If you unpack it in the Greek, it means be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. That's, that's how it works if you, if you dive into the first century context. Uh, the commitment here is to offer love and grace and kindness and humility and gentleness and empathy and acceptance and consideration. A listening ear of care and concern to one another. That's the, that's the first half. Offer that to one another. Honouring one another about yourself. Better in this world that we live in, and better if we are to be a sanctuary, uh, is to offer one another love, safe harbour, and sanctuary rather than opinions. Better to offer one another love, safe harbour, and sanctuary rather than opinions. That's the first half. That's pretty straightforward. Here's the second verse, which is cool. And I'll have to unpack this one. Proverbs 25, 16. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, 
too much of you and they will hate you. That's the other uh, half of the scenario. Let me uh, unpack that. The wisdom of Proverbs is apt as it reads there. If your neighbor is turning up to your house all the time for deep and meaningfuls every day, after a while you do start to hate your neighbor. Like it does, it does, become, it does become too much. So the literal reading of the, the proverb holds up. Um, deep and meaningfuls can become exhausting. But more figuratively, let, let's look at it. Um, if you ever known anyone who's got into Amway or Avon or Isogenics, something like that, why are you giggling? That kind of would hint that. That would hint that you know where I'm going, and I haven't even gone there. And if anyone here does sell Amway or Avon or Isogenics, the very good thing about that is I thought I racked my brain to try and think of anyone, and I couldn't think of anyone. That means if you are that person, you do it really well in a way that is really graceful. Because not everyone does when they start selling Amway or Avon or Isogenics or whatever it is. Overnight, they become televangelists and street evangelists and track hander outerers and letterbox droppers and window wiper lifters and letter writers and dessert evening organizers and so on and so on. Uh, for their family and friends, this can pretty quickly become quite exhausting. I, I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but that can pretty quickly become quite exhausting for the, the close family and friends. Um, not you, of course. Like I said, I haven't thought of anyone that does that. And if you do sell it, obviously you don't sell it like that. So that's great, because I couldn't think of it. But the reality is, every single one of us only has so much capacity for our neighbor, for their opinion, for their hobbies, for their ideas, for their angle on life, for their politics, for their everything. Uh, unless it all aligns exactly with ours, we actually only have so much capacity to handle our neighbor. Um, we can only handle so much. I think we all know that and we all recognise that. You can... Christmas is wonderful, but when you've got 30 people in the house after three or four days, that's... you're looking for your space. Like lockdown was great for me, but even with just the four, my three kids and the wife, after a little bit, I was like, Lisa, I haven't had a day to myself in 60 days. Like, that's... I don't do life like that. That's not how I... I'm an introvert person only. I do only... I need... I'm not breathing, I'm not breathing. She's like, all right, you go, you go. He's like, oh, you. We can only handle our neighbor for so much. We all know that's to be true. What you need to remember, though, is you are a neighbor to your world around you. Or another way of saying that is, the world can only handle so much of you. Your neighbor can only handle so In the same way that you can only handle so much of your neighbor, trust me, your neighbor can only handle so much of you. That, that's just how it is. That's the world that we live in. Uh, so you need to be sensitive to that. I'm not saying that death rates and vaccination mandates and job loss or any of those other issues are the equivalent of selling Amway or Avon or Isogenics. There are important things to talk about. But in the same way, you as a neighbor to others, they can only handle so much of you in regards to your opinions on all of those things. You expect a sermon when you come to church on Sunday. Um, it's not a surprise that I will sermonize at you on a Sunday, that I'll get on the microphone and I'll open the Bible and I'll talk things. You expect that on a Sunday. You, you welcome it. Some of you welcome it more than others, but you welcome it. You look forward to it. You, you come for that. 
But when you catch up with a mate for coffee, you're not necessarily expecting a sermon. And when you go for a walk around the mount with some friends, you weren't necessarily looking for a sermon. And when you went temp and bowling with the family, you weren't necessarily looking for a sermon. We know because we're, we're sensitive to the street preachers that yell at us or speak at the mall when we're just trying to do our Christmas shopping. We weren't really expecting that. It wasn't what I was looking for at the moment. And this, that's an important thing. The gospel of Jesus is an important thing. But you can't just hound and hound and hound. We journey, all of us journey with unchurched friends. They are happy to have conversations with us about these sorts of things, if they're our friends. They also don't expect every minute that we're hanging out with them that we're telling them about Jesus and then telling them about Jesus again. I can tell you that, that over the long term, that may not be a, a healthy strategy over the long term. In the short term, you might feel deeply important that you're really doing God's work. But in the long term, you may actually alienate rather than draw closer. So we're going to be devoted to one another, honour one another above ourselves. But also remember, seldom set foot in your neighbour's house too much of you and they will hate you. So one is how we treat the neighbour coming at us. How do we treat the neighbour coming at us? We love them. We're compassionate to them. We listen. We, we pay attention. We treat them with empathy and kindness. And that's what we give to others. The other one is, oh, I'm a neighbour. I've got to be careful how I engage with the world around me as well. I want to be careful to, to, to not overwhelm my neighbour. I think that those two little verses, I think oh, we just got those two. I think that would be, a, you'd go a long way to being a great sanctuary, to being a safe place, to being a harbour. People come at me, I'll love them, and they need not expect me to come back at them. But if all of us are adopting that attitude, it's like, oh, that really, that really works well. It's like the Sermon on the Mount. When I'm living it to others, it's a great, and when I fail to live it, if others could live that back to me, oh man, it works out well. If I can love my neighbour, but those minutes when I forget it and I'm turning up on their doorstep uninvited, if they could love me back in that moment, oh, we'll, we'll be all right. It, we'll make it. All right, Ephesians, last verse, Ephesians 3, 8 to 12. To me, though I am, this is Paul talking, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, the grace, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And then I've underlined a bit. That through the church, the manifold or the multiform wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose, which he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confidence of access through our faith in him. Through the church, God, through the church, has looked to make known the manifold or the multiform wisdom of God. Made known to the principalities and powers to the world around us. Uh, Gregory of Nyssa in the 4th century. Uh, he's, he's commenting on this, this passage in the 4th century. He points out that the cosmos knew, or the, all of creation, all the world, all of the universe, the cosmos, all of humanity, uh, knew only of the simple and uniform wisdom of God in creation. All that gushes from the fount of God's great goodness. The creation, creation declares the... The, uh, the uniform or the simple wisdom of God. God said, let it be, and life bursts forth. And however that bursts forth, it, it bursts forth. That's the, that's the simple wisdom of God. But that the manifold or multiform wisdom of God is revealed in the church. The multiform wisdom of God has worked great marvels by the instrumentality of contraries. Contraries in the church. Life came through death. 
Righteousness through sin, blessing through curse, and glory through shame, strength through weakness. In the church, we see the multiform wisdom of God that somehow these contraries come together and yet speak of the wonder and the mystery and the wisdom of God that life can come from death, that strength can be found in weakness, that blessing can come in. The curse. This is, this is the multiform wisdom of God up on the, uh, the next slide. It's the knitting together of contraries. The word becomes flesh. Life is mingled with death. Uh, Christ's stripes heal our calamity. Weakness of the cross is the power, uh, overthrows the power of the adversary. How the invisible was revealed in flesh. How the redeemed, how he redeemed the captives. Being himself both the purchaser and the price. For he gave himself as a ransom to death on our account. How he died and did not depart from life. How Christ died but did not depart from life. How he shared in the condition of a slave and remained in his kingly state. Ah, how good is that? Christ, he, 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 he entered in the condition of a slave yet remained in his... How is this? This is the multiform wisdom of God that is far beyond the wonder of creation. That in the church, the knitting together of contraries that reveal the wisdom of God. For all these things and whatever is like them are multiform, not simple works of wisdom. And learning of them through the church, the friends of the bridegroom were heartened, grasping in the mystery another mark of the divine wisdom. This is Gregory of Nicaea in the fourth century. The church is this, this multiform wisdom of God. It reveals these contraries that death can lead to life, that, that, that light can be found in darkness. This is how God can, how is it that He works all these things together? How wise, how wonderful, how majestic is God that in Christ he can knit together the contraries to bring life. And whatever is like them, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, young and old, rich and poor, male and female, no longer divided but united in Christ. Unity even in diversity. The categories don't disappear. Never think that the, the, the Bible's not trying to make male and female and merge them together or, or, or rich and poor and merge them. The, the categories are real. And yet... That despite the diversity, the divisions even at times, this is all united and brought together in Christ, such that the categories need not be a cause of division, but we can gather around this table in all of that. The multiform wisdom of God, united in Christ, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, the happy with the mandates, the outraged by the mandates, the economy comes first, folk, the health and safety first, folk, the mildly troubled, wildly troubled, and the unconcerned. Those are contrary. Those are all contraries. But the wisdom of God revealed in the church is that the church is a place where those contraries can come together and gather around the table. Like I said, logistically, we can make that happen easily. We, are, we can find a logistic way of making that happen. But in spirit, has that happened? Well, if we love one another and remember that we're neighbors and people can only handle so much of us, we might be able to actually make that a reality of the atmosphere, not just the logistics of the situation. Despite uh, desperate for balance, uh, uh, those that are desperate for balance in everything, those that are right out on a particular limb in, in terms of their perspective, united in Christ, united even in diversity, contraries at peace with one another, contraries at peace with one another. All right, we're going to finish with um, sitting with Jesus exercise up on the next slide. There we go, sitting with Jesus.
We've done this many times at St. Luke's. If you've not done this before, I'm going to just read you through a reflection. Where you get to just sit, shut your eyes, sleep if you're not interested in participating. Uh, but if you're happy to participate, I'm just going to lead you through a imaginative prayer exercise. Where you get a chance to sit with Jesus and ask, Jesus, what would you say to me in this moment? 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 says, uh, For God who said, Let the light shine out of the darkness has made his light to shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of Christ, of God's glory display, displayed in the face of Christ. Or in other words, the, God said, let there be light. That same God who says, let there be light, allows his light to shine in our hearts, revealing his glory in the face of Christ. There's some particular questions I want to address. Um, who do you need to be a sanctuary for? How could you be a better sanctuary? Uh, looking to Jesus, how might Christ be looking to mould and shape you in this situation? So those are the questions we're going to unpack. Um, we haven't started yet, but we can start. we'll start in a second. But Psalm 42 verse 7 says, deep calls to deep. And what I have discovered is that I have a sense of articulated understanding or knowledge, but I also have a sense of unarticulated understanding and knowledge. And when I sit with Jesus, often enough... What bubbles up is something I already knew, but I didn't know that I knew. You know what I mean? It's like God says, yeah, I really want you to work on that. And you're like, oh, yeah, I knew I needed to work on that. But I, didn't, I wouldn't have been able to articulate that I needed to. I wouldn't have been able to. I knew that. I didn't know that I needed to do that, but I wouldn't have been able to put my finger on it. And now the unarticulated knowledge is bubbles to the surface. Like, oh, yeah, God, that's true. I, I knew. Rather than like, that's a surprise. I wasn't expecting that. It tends to be that there's something Deep calls to deep. There's something already deep within us that needs to bubble up, and I feel like Christ normally is calling those things to us. All right, now you can bow your heads. Shut your eyes. Be still. Imagine where you would most feel comfortable sitting with Jesus. I, I feel most comfortable sitting around my kitchen table or sitting at the, the beach in one of those park benches that look down from the, the top of the sand dunes. You just imagine the context that you'd feel most comfortable to sit with Jesus, to chat with Jesus. And just imagine that space in, in your mind. Step into that place. Put, put yourself in that context. In that situation. Now locate Jesus in that place. Become aware of his presence. Where's Jesus sitting or standing? What's Jesus doing as you are in that space with Christ? How does Jesus seem there? Is he stressed or is he relaxed? Is he busy or is he cheerful? Is he content? What's the atmosphere of Christ that you sense in this moment? Now in your mind, just imagine drawing near to Jesus. James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Invite Christ to lay a hand of blessing on, you, on your head or your shoulder. What do you sense in his presence? Look into his face. What's the expression on his face like? What are his eyes saying to you?
If Jesus is whispering, how would he answer this question? Who might you need to be a sanctuary for? How might you be a better sanctuary? How might Jesus be looking to shape you in this season? How is Jesus calling you to be more Christ-like in this cultural moment? So who a sanctuary for? How a better sanctuary? How's Jesus shaping you in this season? How might you need to be more Christ-like? Lord, we thank you that you delight to be present near to us. That when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. We thank you for the still small voice of the Spirit that whispers life light to our hearts the deep calls to deep you're, you're already working within us and sometimes it's just below the surface just beyond grass just just quite, not quite able to be articulated and yet we sit with you and we find that that which is deep begins to double to uh, bubble to the surface you're guiding and you're leading the way you're looking to encourage us and challenge us and provoke us and stretch us and love us to be the people that you're called to be we thank you for your presence with us this morning. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. All right, let's stand together. We're going to close. With-